0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. As promised, second part of 15, really in 60. We're going to put four minutes on the clock for each of the teams that we didn't get a chance to do on Sunday night's episode. Before we get started, though, I want to remind you, please subscribe to the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show, second episode out this week. Real fun conversation with John, reassessing some of our preseason predictions, talking about how injuries get reported to the media, a couple of fun mailbag questions as well. So please subscribe, search Hollinger and Duncan in your favorite podcast player. Give us a review if you feel that we so merit it, or tell your friend, share it on Twitter. I'll probably retweet you because I'm in promotion mode for this thing. But certainly as we're trying to get this off the show, get some sponsors, convince someone of John's stature to keep doing the show with me, uh, every little bit helps there. But let's get started here. Danny, I'll leave it to you. What team would you like to kick it off with?
1: Let's start with the undefeated, untied San Antonio Spurs. They're, <laughs> they're 3-0, and and they came back i I mean they were getting worked early in the in the game against portland in san antonio but then they came back in the third quarter particularly the second and third quarters they were dominant in both those but 37 20 in the third and a couple of things that i found interesting so far one is moving away from traditional centers they're they're starting Lamarcus aldridge and trey lyles and our friend seth Partno talked about his opposition to the way that those guys have been classified so far i think that's fair but also yeah
0: well the spurs have a long tradition of that with tim duncan being a power forward for so many years
1: right they do and but also Jakob Pertl in that game only played 12 minutes and he's the only backup center in most of these games that's getting any time so they've been moving away some of that is supply dictated but I mean Pertl had a pretty good year last year so they could certainly play him more than they have so far
0: yeah and DeRozan went nuts in that game as you would expect this is portland matching up uh, with a big wing like derozan derozan now playing pretty much exclusively at the three because all the guards they have and the need to get more shooting on the floor that's why lyle's is starting as well although it's been a struggle for him early on but derozan just went right through rodney hood who's maybe the least physical defender at the three that you're going to find uh, as a six eight guy that's just the type of guy that derozan can really eat at because he could just went right through him a number of times can create space for a shot in the mid-range and so as expected he really had a breakout after you remember he struggled so much in that opener against the knicks i can't say i'm that impressed yet with this spurs team I and mean, they have a point differential of plus of 3.9 but they haven't played like a murderous road team so beating portland is, is good but the knicks Who's the thirteen that they beat?
1: The Washington Wizards ah, yes. by two.
0: Yeah, so so actually, I mean, to be plus 3.9. All at 9, home as well. Yeah, right, exactly. So, I mean, basically, you're probably going to be just plus 3 at home general if you're an average team. And so, yeah, they're 3-0. Those wins are banked. Good job. They're kind of looking still about where i thought they would despite the 3-0 record as a you know slightly above 500 type of group here so far would that be your assessment as well
1: it would be and we'll learn a lot more over the next few days they have a back-to-back a road back-to-back against the clippers and warriors so while the warriors are not who they've been in previous years it's still a challenging travel and everything else and a- another important piece of bookkeeping for them hearkening back to lou williams a little while back the spurs have guaranteed lamarcus aldridge is 24 million for the twenty twenty. 21 season so yeah, well,
0: it's unclear if that's true actually there's been some conflicting reporting on that john hollinger said that they just moved the guarantee date up to january 1 for this year other people said it, it was guaranteed i'm guessing john probably has that one right uh but uh, the but either way i mean they did move it up and it seems unlikely especially with that 2020 free agent class that they would go in another direction from him next year
1: yeah and so that that could square things up for them we'll, we'll have to see if it affects anything it is a little bit yeah but i mean aldridge is, is going to be worth that money unless he gets hurt or something and it's, it's a nice gesture at bare minimum
0: a couple other things to, to note on these guys despite not playing the two bigs together fourth in the nba so far in offensive rebound percentage again part of that is playing portland without zach collins or they're playing you know kemp baysmore at the four scow playing at center he's not a great defensive rebounder um washington has very little size they're not a good defensive rebounding team uh so part of that is opponent got to remember who teams have played at this point in the year and then as we've come to expect 30th in the nba in three-point attempt rate uh but unlike last year when they were number one or number two I can't remember if it was them or the warriors in the end but you know they're shooting like 40 percent from three on very limited attempts now they are at 17th in the NBA, just on a 34% again, very early. And part of that is because they're playing DeJounte Murray. DeJounte has actually taken five threes, which is good to see, uh, but uh, one of five there. All right, let's move on to their opponents last night, the Blazers. Damian Lillard went crazy at the end, bringing them back. Uh, but in the end, it wasn't enough. He had a three-pointer rim out in the right corner, fading away that could have tied it uh, as a, a buzzer beater. So that Zach Collins injury, uh, which he suffered against the Mavs, where his shoulder popped out, then supposedly it's back in. His mobility is okay, but still unclear exactly how much time he's going to miss uh, as of this recording at four o'clock Pacific time on Tuesday. Um, we should probably talk about the successful challenge that they had, though, at the end of the that mo- Dallas game? I
1: believe that's the most important challenge so far, at least that I've seen.
0: Well and I mean to me I still think your best time to use it is on a three shot foul at the end of the game or, or I'm sorry well at the end of the game obviously would be great but you know at some point when you know that the foul wasn't committed Dame Lillard went to Terry Stotts and said hey I got I was clean on that strip of Dorian Finney-Smith uh, off an offensive rebound that Portland led by one at that point and Finney Smith would have been going to the line for a couple of free throws, uh, with the foul having been called. it was in the upward shooting motion. uh Mark Cuban tried to say, "Hey, there was a body contact on the foul," and you know, this standard is going to be a really difficult one of when you're going to overturn these fouls or not. Right? I mean, if you're looking at the strip, yeah, it looked like a pretty clean strip. Did he get him with the body a little bit? Do they want to focus on that? Is it going to be, hey, you know what, like there was absolutely zero contact here, or eh, you know, they probably shouldn't have called this one and Certainly by the standards you usually go by at the end of a game, it was a pretty clean strip. I, I liked the call overall. Is that uh, the standard, which is clear and conclusive, that uh, sounds a little bit beyond a clear and convincing evidence necessarily that the call was incorrect. I mean, that seems like a high standard when you talk about it, but uh, that one, yeah, I think they made the right call. And then the other thing that's so interesting about these is anytime a shooting foul is called and then overturned the ball is considered loose at the time right in this one you'd say oh ball went out of bounds off of portland when dames stripped it away give it to dallas well no actually that's uh not how it works because the ball is in the air that's considered a loose ball and so then it's a jump ball dallas and we're going to talk about them next but uh, just to keep it in line here it was chris Porzingas porzingis against mario hazonia on the jump ball because the sun white side was out of the game. I think he had fouled out. They weren't going to play Scal there. They're playing Hozonia at center. Collins was unavailable. So Kristaps Porzingis, because you, you can do it. Any two players who are on the floor at the time, you can't make a sub in to do the jump ball. And it's always it's out at center court as well. There's about you know eight seconds left or so. And Dallas did something which uh my teammates did in the NBA Finals media game <laughs> when I didn't have anywhere to tip the ball to. Uh, <laughs> And I kept saying, hey, give me somewhere to tip it to. Give me somewhere to tip it to. I mean, it, it's inexcusable to not carve out a space in between two just because of the math.
1: Well, and uh, and when you have the yeah. big guy, like, the, the, there's such yeah. a sense
0: of urgency when like, all you have to hey, do
1: is give him a space. And big right. and, and it's
0: like, and, and like, like, small guys just like, they don't understand that, like, oh, yeah, tipping it backwards over my head where I can't see you, that's not like the space where it needs to be. Like, I want to tip it backwards towards my own goal using. Uh, my inside hand and so Porzingis had to try to tip it over his head but it ended up just going out of bounds. Well and not, uh, not only Feral, that,
1: but part of the reason why is is this is part of the Portland element. Kent Bazemore basically boxed out Luka Doncic. Yeah. And you you can't have that happen as the offensive player, you know, if you're in position. He basically just sealed him and there and so what even though Porzingis hit the ball ostensibly to Doncic, yeah. there was no way I mean for him he could have it.
0: done a better job at tipping it, but it's sure, like they, but, they didn't I mean, make his life there wasn't easy, a, right
1: there wasn't a great catch radius on that because of where Bazemore was so full credit to Portland for nailing the jump ball execution and for being proactive, understanding that they were going to lose the tip, but then just recovering it is actually how you do it. So, yeah, I, I thought that and it was important. I mean, it got them a win in a game they absolutely could have could have lost or could have gone to overtime. And Portland, something worth kind of keeping an eye on, three of their uh, no, I guess the Sacramento game wasn't close. So I'll say two of their four games were close. They won one, they lost the other. And then the Denver game, it was an eight-pointer, but part of that is because Jokic It was very
0: close at the end, yeah.
1: But Jokic missed the entire first half. So yeah. if we're calibrating, and that game was in, was in Portland, if we're calibrating how those two teams are... Yeah, Nurkic isn't available, but he's going to be unavailable for a while. So, I mean, I, I'm a little bit un, less enthused about Portland, but not much. I mean, they are they really, at this point, they are who we thought they were.
0: Yeah, and I think the Hassan-Whiteside thing is working out okay. It's really more the depth behind him that you have well, to yeah, worry and, about now, where, and, especially with Collins going to be out now.
1: And Neil O'Shea just avoiding forwards like the plague is crazy. Hey, problems. Mario
0: Hazonia's a four, Danny.
1: He is. And I mean, the church is doing pretty well so far. But it, I mean, basically, Anthony Tolliver starting at the four and then Hazonia basically being their only other forward sized guy off the bench, it, that's a problem. And, I mean, and so, you know, drafting Trent and Nasir Little, who maybe is closer to forward sized, is, you know, and also not using any of their available resources really at those spots other than yeah, minimum they contract. do
0: have the highest payroll in the NBA. And, and they did, I mean, they went after rodney hood you could say he's the best guy that they got well but, and they took on yeah. a bunch
1: of salary and Hassan Whiteside, white side but he's also not a forward right
0: all right let's move on to dallas now uh actually let's do a, a quick read here first from our friends at roan underrated river very underrated clothing love their stuff my favorite shirt actually a, a nice long sleeve exercise shirt that i'm using right now i i have this gym out in my shed in the back that i used to work out it's getting a little cooler now so nice to have that long sleeve shirt because there's no heat in there or anything to work out in just maybe the most comfortable shirt that i own outside of even exercise roan is premium activewear i can confirm that it is really really nice stuff uh it's great for travel as well i'm going to be going on an international flight next week i'll be re- wearing my roan gear for that it's an absolute necessity when you're on the go they have a great selection of short shirts tank tops socks swimwear and whether it's working out the office long flights uh, or commutes they've got this new commuter collection which is perfect for looking great and staying comfortable at the office uh, as well a performance alternative to everyday workwear we've got polos pants that are wrinkle free that commuter collection is great stuff for all weather especially if you're living in a rainy area as well to get started with them, go to Rhone.com, R-H-O-N-E, the Roan River. That was the inspiration for the brand name. Rone.com slash capspace today and use promo code capspace. So you can go to the slash capspace URL and use space, double your space, and get 20% off your first purchase. That's Rhone, R-H-O-N-E.com, Rone.com slash capspace. Don't forget that space code as well to get 20% off. And of course, let them know that you came from us. So Dallas, I think the number one takeaway for me from their first part of the season is that Kristaps uh looks better than he did initially in the preseason. I think he's still a little bit slower than where he was, but he's put on some weight and he's still impossible to score on when he's in position at the rim. And so if he's going to defend that way for Dallas and if he can stay healthy, I mean, that's the biggest reason that I went under on them was that, you know, how many games is he going to play? but. When he's been healthy, they've been 3-0. They look pretty good.
1: Well, they're 2-1. Because they they lost that. They lost oh yeah, they the lost of the game to Portland.
0: Yeah. Well, but they still look pretty good, damn it. They
1: still look pretty good. They could have won that game. <laughs> and Dallas is third in offense. And something I thought was notable. Yeah, only three games, small sample size, all that fun stuff. They are currently third in offensive rating overall. Well, one twenty two five. But they've actually been using clean the glasses garbage time filter. They've actually been a little bit more efficient when Luka Doncic has been on the bench, which just means that their bench scoring has been good. And
0: Th- they're always good. I know bench, yeah. but, but
1: just to have that have that balance and Dallas you know they have a lot of capable players they the way Carlisle uses bench guards is something that I've always really liked and if they can keep their defense even if it's just like league average I think they'll be they'll be in a really good spot and something that I've that is notable and we'll keep an eye on this uh on during Tuesday night's game against the Denver Nuggets is Carlisle has started a different five-man lineup in each of their three games you know it's smaller changes like Jalen Brunson's been in two Courtney Lee's been in two and then uh Doreen Finney-Smith was in for one of them. But the idea of kind of playing the matchups also when guys are healthy, I think that's a good thing. And and also Dallas just has, they have a lot of guys, you know, I wish they had done more with their cap space last during the offseason but i I, i'm interested in how he mixes and matches and and also what the rationale is because obviously luca and porzingis are going to be in there and and then the other ones can change around because i mean delon wright's had some really good defensive performances as well
0: yeah and this was kind of the other than dwight powell whom they extended he was gonna be under contract this year probably regardless uh wright kleba seth Curry. We said it in the offseason, these are guys who haven't necessarily been starting players, but have played well in smaller roles. And they're taking bets on them at below starter money to come in and really contribute. And they've been able to do that so far. All those guys have a little bit of health risk uh, as well here. Another factor that I wanted to hone in on is their pace they rank 19th in the nba at 13.9 seconds per offensive possession but after a defensive rebound they are fifth in the nba 10 seconds per possession that's pretty good and after a turnover they're at seven seconds per possession so Wright, i think is a good transition player curry likes to get out and run the lane and Luca pushing the ball a little bit more uh, as well so one of the big questions we had if they could take the next step offensively was are they going to be able to actually get something in transition the most efficient types of plays available and they have in fact been able to do that so far so that's been important that's something we'll be watching all year with them and the question was could Carlisle adapt and let them run because he'd really been squeezing the air out of the ball these last few years perhaps by necessity since they had some more under talented teams
1: are we ready to move on Yep. Let's go to the Los Angeles Clippers. They did shockingly lose to the Phoenix Suns, but then rebounded by beating the Charlotte Hornets. And remarkably, the Clippers are third in Cleaning the Glasses net rating. Plus 9.1, which is fantastic, yeah. obviously, despite being 25th in defensive of rating. And that's because they their offensive rating, they're scoring basically like 1.2 points per possession. And, you know, there was a, a point in the Warriors game where they were just basically hitting a three every single time. And something that I found interesting, yeah, that's a great net rating and, and great offense and everything else like that, is that through the eye test more than anything else, I've kind of liked their defensive fundamentals. You know, I think that they've been, they've been more competitive, and it, it hasn't been perfect. And there were times, I mean, the Suns were just hitting a bunch of shots against them. And a couple other a couple other times but you want to to me the eye test is very important this early because you're kind of what's repeatable and what's not and I've liked their defense overall
0: yeah I watched their first two games so I did not watch their last two and but Jovan Bua saying that their defensive fundamentals have slipped a little bit in these last couple of games uh, and you know Montrez lou williams you know we'll see how long that holds up certainly preseason expectations were with those guys on the floor they're going to struggle a little bit more I and mean, the other awesome thing about them though is just you know Kawhi looks like he might be primed for the best season of his career where he's finally adding the distribution element had a further six assists against the hornets uh in a relatively comfortable win they eventually pulled away there uh at home uh, at staples on monday and he had 30 points in 30 minutes I I think looks like he's gonna be pretty much on that 30 to 32 minutes limit in Phoenix they trailed by 12 with about five minutes left they took Kawhi out to try and preserve him towards the end they didn't get back into it and maybe if it really gets close down the end which they haven't had any games that have been really close at the end so far maybe we'll see Kawhi get pushed a little bit more but they have this really good bench and Certainly, I would think they'd much rather just limit his minutes in individual games rather than have him miss games entirely, especially during this period now uh, where Paul George is out and, uh, good on them though. Just to be three and one, they had, you know, not the easiest schedule in the world so far and have looked pretty good. And yeah, they're, I don't know that they're going to look as good as they did in those first two games, uh, all the way through the season. Remember that they were shooting over 50% through those, uh, from three through those first two games. So it was never going to continue to look quite that good. Important to remember for a lot of these teams, but to just be three and one right now without Paul George. And, you know, they're probably about halfway through this period now where he wasn't going to play. Uh, that's obviously very encouraging for them. Um, and Patrick Patterson has been starting for them. I think that's probably the other un- unexpected thing uh, to talk about with them.
1: Yeah. And, and not only is Patterson starting, but he's playing 25 minutes a game. And remember they've had some blowouts in there. So you could, you could structure that a couple different ways, eight points, four rebounds 42 percent from the field 47 percent from three helped by that six of ten against the warriors but yeah i mean they weren't expecting this and he they're not going to need it once paul george get back but but just as a capable player that again they got for the minimum it's huge
0: yeah we'll see how it goes with him i mean he has been more engaged certainly you know they even had some quick post-ups for him against smaller players against the warriors where he's able to get inside. He got a couple of dunks. He's been shooting the ball. I mean, that was his number one problem in OKC's. He just couldn't make a shot. Uh, So maybe he's healthier. Who knows what the deal is. I do worry a little bit that Doc is just going to kind of fall in love with him for a little bit too long but they're keeping him engaged for now he's a good leader everyone there likes him and when paul george comes back if he has to go out of the rotation at least he'll have been satisfied a little bit by having had this role early on they also finally got landry shamick going against charlotte coming off of some screens but then the bench really struggled a little bit more against charlotte so they have a lot of work to do but in terms of continuity they have a lot of pieces to integrate but certainly very happy with where they are at the moment. Who's next?
1: Let's go to the Sacramento Kings. We talked briefly about their loss to the Nuggets on Monday. That was a game that I watched. Hey, but more than briefly. Oh no, more than briefly, I was conflating I was confusing that game with Utah Phoenix, which I watched and you didn't. Um, right. but with Sacramento, the most important thing that we've only alluded to so far is Marvin Bagley is out for four to six weeks. He fractured his right thumb, and while you and I are both a little bit skeptical of how important Bagley is in terms of contributing to winning basketball, it's still a big loss for them development-wise. And he's been, he played well, you know, to start the season. So we'll keep an eye on whether it's Bielitsa like it has been, or whether Luke Walton goes in other directions. But it's definitely a blow for the Kings.
0: Yeah, and I think they need. Somewhere to go on some of these half court possessions uh, and Bagley struggled in the first game, uh, largely guarded by DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and we'll see when he comes back uh, i think with bagley out Rashawn holmes is giving them some needed offense dwayne dedman has been struggling with foul trouble dedman is certainly the better defensive option there uh but i mean they got a lot of guys who just uh, have been terrible on offense so far i mean if you want to look the list of guys below 50 percent true shooting right now buddy healed 48 percent true shooting seven per bogdan bogdanovich 39% true shooting 7.5 PR Trevor Ariza even after a nice game last night 47% shooting 6.8 PR Dwayne Dedman 43% true shooting 2.1 PR so I mean that's like half the rotation Fox I mean other than Bielitsa and Holmes they haven't had anybody really who, who's been above the league average in true shooting. So that's been a, a major problem. Uh, Harrison Barnes leads them in minutes played. Jaren Fox struggled with foul trouble in their first game against the Suns. Um, I mentioned yesterday that I didn't think that Fox uh, was looking quite that great so far. I mean, he is turning the ball over a ton increases usage up to 27%. I mean, I think he does want to score more, but you know, he's got to be better uh, as well. And so just a, a lot of things going wrong for them. I mean, I think offensively is the bigger problem to me. Uh And they're also just turning the ball over like crazy that's uh been another major issue well and, and that's them. helped
1: sabotage their defense i mean right now they're giving up a 119 offensive rating you know so 119 defensive rating and pretty much bad in three of the four factors they're doing okay in opponent free throw rate but then field goal percentage they're not forcing many turnovers all those sorts of things and yeah when you're losing the turnover margin as badly as there, where they're bottom five in both own turnovers and generating turnovers, that's a big, big problem for them. I don't expect that to continue necessarily moving forward. They have some guys that can do it. But, yeah, I mean, Sacramento just, I mean, the margins might be really tight for, if if the playoffs are their goal, the margin might be really tight there. And so, yeah, Owen 3 doesn't necessarily do it, but they're going to keep on playing, you know, it's, it's the Western Conference. It, you, you can't really get too much dirt on you before it gets hard. And so, yeah, they can, they beat Charlotte on, on Wednesday, get back on track, that would be okay. But they're going to have to start beating capable teams if they want to actually be in that conversation
0: yeah they were really especially last year especially at home you know when teams got into the dog days of the season going into sacramento was an exhausting exercise to keep up with them and we haven't seen that yet from them and the other thing i can say about them too when i talked with them or talked about them with hollinger my thought was oh 39 games last year Pretty decent point differential, young team, made some additions. Why aren't they better? Well, maybe part of the reason for that is so many guys on this team took a massive leap. Now, they're young enough that you thought those gains could, at a minimum, be consolidated and maybe even improved on. But Fox, Heald, Bogdanovich, those three guys have been their three biggest disappointments so far. And maybe they just improved so much that even with youth on their side, there's going to be some regression of the mean there. But of course, it's early at caveat, caveat, caveat. Let's turn to Denver now. Uh, What stuck out the most to you about their performance?
1: Honestly, one of the big things has been Nicole Jokic missing time with foul trouble. I mean, that that swung... The early part of the Portland game, which they ended up winning, they're 3-0. And the Sacramento game, he got in foul trouble again. And Jokic, it's different for a center. I've criticized the Warriors guards for this at many times, you know, over the years. That they, they're they too important offensively to commit fouls. And I think Jokic is kind of in that mold as well. But the problem is, when when a player is a center, there are just so many more foul opportunities. And so even if they try to be judicious, sometimes some of them find them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that is kind of a good thought of, like... Uh- that we've never really talked about of just why it's harder to have a center as your best player when you really get into like the playoffs that it's just hard for those guys to play as many minutes Uh, not only just because they're larger guys maybe they're not as athletic they get tired faster but just you're more likely to get in foul trouble you just that's the nature of the position as a big uh and then if you're not going to foul it's kind of hard to have a good defense if you're not putting yourself in position where you might in fact be picking up fouls this team shooting it extremely poorly from two point range right now that's what what really stands out to me they have one player on the team is shooting better than 50% from two, and that's Mason Plumlee. Jokic, usually devastating from there. He He's really struggled. Will Barton, 30% from two. Jamal Murray, 38%. Gary Harris, now they've kept in it with some decent three-point shooting moments. Um, But really, I mean, Jokic has not gotten going at all. That's their number one problem offensively. And yeah, they look better defensively. The shooting is not amazing. I do think they need to kind of figure out ways to get more shot makers on the floor maybe that's going to mean playing Malik Beasley a little bit more than they have been he's off to a hot start at least shooting from 3 Jamal Murray he's it'd be nice if for once in his life he could not wait until December to start hitting shots um Barton had that big first game but he's now at 32% from the field I mean that might be another way that they can go but you know who is the guy who's going to replace him in the starting lineup if Mike Malone doesn't trust Michael Porter Jr. to play a single minute so far he's probably not going to just move into the starting lineup. Beasley is probably too small. Juancho Hernan is again not even in the rotation as of this point so if they're not going to get more from Barton yeah I mean Murray and Jokic they're going to be there regardless like those guys I think are going to play better but if Barton is just kind of eh, hey you know not any good and then you know Millsap just continues to gently decline he's only playing 25 minutes a game so you start to wonder if maybe there's a uh, this offense which so terrorized the league for a couple of years before they got good and then they had a little bit of a disappointing offensive performance last year they're seventh but maybe there isn't that just absolute turbocharged unstoppable element to this team any longer other than just you know the jokic element of playing through him but he uh, has had a sluggish start to be sure and remember he played it in the world cup this year in china you know doesn't look to have a ton of energy at the beginning here and i mean but we're saying all this and they're 3-0 and they've beaten some pretty good teams uh on the road
1: Speaking of lacking a super a, a super turbocharged unit, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, it, it is kind of remarkable to see how different they are without Russell Westbrook. And that's not to say they're you know they are one in three. But what I've just been most amused by, and this is something that is should be to the surprise of no one who listens to this podcast or watches basketball, Steven Adams' defensive rebound rate skyrocketing. So he his. High over the last previous three years was 15.4% of opponent misses. Through four games, he's up to 28%. And that's what happens when you're allowed to get rebounds for yourself instead of focusing more on boxing out. And I mean, Russell Westbrook getting a defensive rebound is an awesome thing for that team. But without that, Steven Adams can grab those rebounds.
0: Danilo Gallinari picking up right where he left off yeah. the, from an efficiency standpoint. you year ago, 65% true shooting. He is absolutely statuesque defensively, though. I think perhaps, uh, and we'll see again where the Clippers end up defensively, but I think one of the things I may not have realized about their defense was just how bad Gallo had become. I mean, he looks like, for this team, like Carmelo Anthony, uh Donovan Mitchell roasted him in that first game down the end. But this is a team that's been largely competitive. I mean, they had a brutal loss at home. To Washington, they would have looked a little bit better there, and they couldn't hit a shot in that game, and then they go out and, and they're on fire against the Warriors from three. What do you make of the way Shea Gilgis Alexander has played thus far?
1: He's definitely had some highlights. You can see the the balance and the dynamism. I, I just I just like him as a player, but I do I wonder just exactly what his like what his calling card is going to be. And I I talk a lot about the idea of a primary ball handler. That's one of those phrases that I use all the time. And I I really like Shay and I like his game, but I wonder how that's going to all fit in. And it might just be passage of time. Remember, this is I believe his age twenty one season. So we'll keep an eye on it. But I mean. 28 usage and above average two shooting for a second year player early on is is definitely a good sign and i've i've liked some of the minutes that he's played with chris paul and so yeah i think he's on the right track and he's he has these moments that make you think yeah he's gonna figure it out but i'm still i'm still pumping the brakes a little bit compared to some of the people who are just already gushing
0: yeah and it's been the pick and roll his primary diet 39 percent of the yep. time 12 out of 27 but he's averaging uh 1.03 points per possession which is excellent never turns it over which is a a, and is really really in control for a young player and then the other way he's been attacking is in transition he has been you know shooting a ready three-pointer you know he's been around five threes a game so far shooting 36 percent. so that's enough for him especially playing next to someone uh, like Chris Paul so eventually you think they're going to give him the keys I mean they've even gone to some lineups with all three point guards together because they just have nothing at the three Terrence Ferguson remember how the big problem was Russell Westbrook dominating the ball and that's why he never took any shots well he's taking 12 shots on the year in 94 minutes so wait uh,
1: wait, I I should say this number as well 7.7 usage
0: uh yeah and uh a whole four two-point attempts on the year i mean the guy's playing over 20 minutes a game uh somewhat encouraging is that darius basley is playing oh no is it basley or basley you've corrected me on this last time
1: and now i don't remember (laughs) we'll get there
0: if only he'd played college basketball last year um but i mean good to see him at least in the rotation he is the the same microscopic usage rate just about as ferguson (laughs) And Hamadou Diallo, just his overall activity has gotten him in the rotation. He's probably been the best of their wing options, but, you know, still problems shooting the ball as well. There are only six three-point attempts of his 31 shots. Utah, they won last night, uh, as we talked about. Um, one thing that was noteworthy, this isn't Utah related, David Locke pointed this out. Donovan Mitchell drove to the basket, got fouled with 0. 0.4 seconds left by Devin Booker. Monty Williams, and it looked like Devin Booker was like kind of vertical. I never saw a great replay of it. But Monty Williams had a timeout and had a challenge and didn't use it. With 0. 0.4 seconds left in the game, he got called for a foul. I mean, maybe he thought that you know they could somehow he would make both free throws and they could call timeout and advance the ball you know he he would have been giving up on that but i think with 0.4 seconds left you know that's probably not worth it so i think you take the challenge there anyway um we haven't talked about wait, Joe Wait, wait, wait. Quick, yeah, quick, yeah. before oh, yeah. we do
1: that, can we mention also on the lines of, you might as well do it, Jim Boylan calling a timeout with 0.5 seconds left. In oh, the- no, no, no.
0: Hold on, though. There was a reason for that. Oh,
1: there was. And it was because it was a user to lose a timeout.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the- 0.5 th- seconds left in the third, third quarter. quarter. So they drew up a play, but you can't advance the ball unless it's the fourth quarter. <laughs> so, at the end of the fourth quarter. So, um, <laughs> yeah. All right. But back to Utah, though. Joe Ingles, very creative extension. Uh, Mark Bartles saying that his agent at Priority Sports... Agreeing with him to a one-year, fourteen million-dollar deal to keep him under contract with the franchise through twenty twenty-one, twenty-two. Would you have done this if you were the Jazz? Would you have done this if you were Ingles?
1: Ingles is, I think, the more the more interesting discussion because wings are super valuable. But remember, this is for the twenty-one, twenty-two season, and Joe is already thirty-two. So. I, I think you lock in that money. I mean, remember how he came into the league—that he was, you know, cut by the Clippers right before the start of a season when he was already—I think he was already 27 at that point. So, yeah, I think you lock in the money, even though there is a very distinct chance that at 34 he could have gotten more than that. But I mean, it's two years early. I think that's pretty good. And for the Jazz, they do have uncertainty in terms of uh, a lot of go- a lot of their best players are going to be on new contracts by that point. But Ingles at 14 million, as long as he stays healthy. I think he'll be worth that. So I don't necessarily know if they, if Dennis Lindsay wants to trade him at that juncture, but yeah, I think it's fine. And, and I, I like it as kind of a, it, I use the phrase risk mitigation a lot on extensions. I don't even know if it's necessarily that. It's just kind of both sides betting that there's going to be value in having a forward at 14 million.
0: Yeah. And it's it's actually 13 million with some unspecified incentives. Now, Eric Pincus for basketball insiders has the exact number that deal, because it is longer than two years, which includes the two remaining deals, uh, years in the contract and includes greater than a 5% raise. The last year of his contract was 10.8. He goes up to 13, uh, million there. So that means that he cannot be traded for six months. That'll uh, protect him from being traded. If, assuming he doesn't want to be traded. Uh, but even if he did, it wouldn't matter through the trade deadline but yeah i mean this is one where a 34 year old wing unlikely to be starting quality by that time you know that's he's probably you know more of a room exception garrett temple type of guy by that age and maybe this is a reward for them to uh for him now coming off the bench with bogdanovich and royce o'neill starting to kind of make him feel not as bad about that but i mean this is a year the summer of 2021 when utah could have been a cap space player they reduced that by 13 million that is also a year when re- both rudy gobert and donovan mitchell the latter of the restricted variety oh and tony bradley too don't forget him uh are gonna be free agents but even with their cap holds they could have had max room now they're gonna be a little bit below there about 30 million or so but it, it seems like they're just ah, no free agents ever come to utah blah blah, blah. but i mean you can say that, but I mean, they just got, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, like the, the, the money still counts, right? Having a guy be overpaid. Yeah. You might not get Giannis or whatever to come there, but yeah, I, I ultimately, I don't think I care for the move. From Utah's side.
1: Okay. Yeah. Ingles,
0: I totally understand. Yeah. Um, should we move on to Houston here?
1: Yeah, let's do it. The the Rockets are uh two and one after that opening not opening their opening night loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. They beat OKC, they beat the pels Both games pretty close. And the a couple of pieces of important news that we need to get to with them. One is Gerald Green is expected to miss about six months, and and so you could say six months, that means he might be back for the playoffs. We expect the Rockets to go long way in the playoffs. But he but Tim McMahon. Of ESPN, noting that it's the quote that he got is highly doubtful that Green could return this season, even if the Rockets make a deep playoff run.
0: Yeah, so he's certainly a candidate, although he can block a trade as a uh, having a, a one-year contract with bird rights that he would lose. If he were traded now, maybe he wouldn't just block a trade, but this is one where with their tax issues, they it would behoove them to pay cash to get off of him, get off of Nene, and just open up more space below the tax for some other moves to be made. And uh, and, just, and yeah. from a
1: practical consideration, I mean, Joe Green is not a perfect player by any means, but I liked him as a low-end rotation guy who you can keep in when he's shooting the ball well, and he's randomly had some decent defensive games out there. I don't trust him defensively, but he has those moments, especially in their scheme. So- It'll be, and wings are hard to find. So this could be a little bit of a challenge for the Rockets. I wonder how this situation is going to resolve with, I'm assuming the no trade might not be a a problem, but just how, how does it, how does it all square up? And do they, can they find a capable rotation player? That was something that Maury also deserves credit for is that not only did they move on from the guys like Michael Carter Williams and Carmelo that were bad fits last year, but they found players who were good fits like Austin Rivers. Um, the other piece of news, this is, was very interesting to me from Jared Weiss is that he he was the first person I saw reporting that the the ruling on Nene's contract, which is basically that the uh, the likely bonuses were not included for trade matching, basically that they couldn't kind of play the game the way that Daryl Morey wanted to, that the decision that was made on Nene's contract is not precedent moving forward. So it's a little bit of a, you know, Bush v. Gore, if we want to call it that, for cap nerds. But, I mean, that doesn't make yeah. the Rockets well, feel Well,
0: like. yeah, the, the reason is, is that it was a settlement that was re- reached between the mbpa and the league that this mm-hmm. is what's going to happen as opposed to it actually getting litigated by an arbitrator in which case it probably would have been pressed
1: right and so that's an interesting interesting question and a lot of times how this resolves is that the team just runs it by the league beforehand and so they can you know do that before it gets signed but the yeah. way this, the way this was structured that didn't happen but I just wanted to mention that cuz I thought it was interesting
0: also interesting is that James Harden is six out of 40 from three. He is shooting 29% from the field and yet still has a true shooting percentage of 53% because he is shooting just an ass ton of free throws. He has more points on free throws than he does from the field, which let's be honest, really sucks to watch. But also as part of a, the genius of his effectiveness, he's 21 of 22 from the foul line against OKC. Russell Westbrook continuing his defensive rebounding at 28% and Houston up near the top of the league in pace after being towards the bottom before. The thing that stuck out the most to me other than Harden just shooting it so poorly from three is that Westbrook has been efficient, 60% true shooting, 29 PER, and the idea of the floor being spaced is and then also just having threats in transition as well to throw it to for threes uh has been just a revelation for him i mean some of the buckets that he was getting against okc i mean he he wasn't even necessarily blowing by his guy but he's just overpowering him and going in for a, a power layup and there's just like no one even in the same zip code as him and it's just remarkable and then when they're going at the end of the game he set up pj tucker for the game clinching corner three they're going with a five out look and so if you do bring help then he could just throw it to the corner easy pass you know he had some real nice passes in that game as well he's looked pretty good so far offensively to me and uh the only downside for the rockets clint capella has a bonus in his contract for defensive rebound percentage i ain't getting that this year
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And this came up. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. We're out of time. We're out of time on the Rockets. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i was going to bring up the thing that albert albert and mod talked about this in the context of dion waiters that for those who are interested about the hard cap and all that kind of stuff bonuses are not calculated until the end of the year even if you know that's just not the way it works so the like the heat don't get that that's not as relevant for the rockets but i just wanted to note it I guess i find it interesting and that's what we do uh let's move um,
0: on oh here hold on Be- before we move on gotta tell you about untuck it yes it is gift time perhaps your father is one of those guys who wears just those ridiculously sized dress shirts that go down to his knees when they're untucked that fit like a tent on the torso perhaps you know someone who has been struggling to make the transition to any sort of more casual office wear what better gift to give this person than a stylish shirt that actually fits right untucked shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked so now if your father wears his pants up to his belly button he can put on the untucked shirt and no one will be any the wiser because it will be untucked but seriously though these shirts look really good it's not just for people who've been wearing bad dress shirts their whole lives they've got more than 50 fit combinations it'll fit just about anybody wrinkle free button downs which i really appreciate because i really don't like taking my stuff to the cleaners and i really don't like spending 10 minutes ironing a shirt i'm also just like incredibly bad at ironing shirts for some reason like it looks like i've gotten the wrinkles out when i'm ironing it and then i put it on it's like they ain't go anywhere i'm really just pathetic at that but untuckets wrinkle-free button dons can help me out there they got some great flannels as well i don't need some ironing of those either outerwear go to untuckit.com u-n-t-u-c-k-i-t untuck it like untuck your shirt untuckit.com use that familiar promo code catspace for 20 percent off at checkout whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart relaxed style of your own untuckit is the way to go untuckit.com don't forget that catspace code to get 20 percent off at checkout and let them know that you came from us okay now danny where are we going next here? Four minutes on the clock four?
1: The Owen four New Orleans Pelicans. They are dealing so
0: we'll spend one minute on each loss then?
1: One minute on each loss. Uh they are they missed both Derek Favors and Drew Holiday due to knee issues, and both of them are, are reportedly game time decisions for their game against Denver, which is on, on Thursday. It's not surprising, considering those two players are out along with of course Zion, that their defense has been terrible, but it has really been terrible. They are currently twenty eighth and really I mean it's a it's a uh, failings in in all the capacities they have they've been the worst defensive rebounding team in the league so far fouling a lot not forcing that many turnovers and
0: yeah that's where i hoped that they actually could really make some hay at their best was like zion lonzo drew like those three guys being sharks uh but yeah that obviously has Well, and
1: one so of them far. has been totally out one of them has been out right. for a portion of the time and, and so yeah and,
0: and favors supposedly is limited he he said that he's not feeling soreness now but remember I me mean, he's had these knee problems going back four or five years now with utah so you know i think at a minimum this portends that he's going to be on some kind of a minute's limit and you know i, I think really with their bench units they're going to be very hard pressed to stop anybody when you throw reddick in there as well he's really been struggling so far um but anyway yeah you're you, you saying about their defense
1: yeah it and and there's a parallel here with Sacramento that it's reasonable to say that what some of New Orleans struggles won't continue, that it's a non-representative sample, but 0-4 is still 0-4, and, and if it ends up being competitive in the West, then these these start to matter. And My instinct is that what this season is going to be, and this is just preliminary, is that it can still be a heartwarming, encouraging season, and just doesn't end with them making the playoffs, and I think that's totally fine. But I, I'm interested, and in, I've talked about how for me, the definitive part of this year is evaluation for the Pelicans. Who fit. Fits, who's worth keeping especially with brandon ingram being one of the most interesting ones and he's had a nice start to the year so a lot to a lot to track with them and and a lot to watch even if it ends up not being that they play in late april
0: a couple other notes uh, on them just a lot of weird numbers they are fourth in the nba in three-point attempt rate that's certainly good they are 29th in free throw attempt rate we noted that brandon ingram's free throws are down drew holiday has never really gotten to the free throw line that much despite his physical style um And obviously Zion is going to get there a ton and he's out again. I think I'm such a bummer that he's out for many reasons, but I think he really would be helping this team in a number of ways. They also have guys who are just shooting terribly from three, like Drew Holiday is one of nine from three on the season in his two games. Nikhil Alexander-Walker started picking it up a little bit but he, he had that awful start obviously uh, against Toronto but then they have a bunch of guys who are kind of over their heads here as well Brandon Ingram 50% Lonzo is much higher than he was Josh Hart has actually uh, earned a starting role now uh, with Holiday out he's been shooting the ball very well from three also so other than that game against the warriors they had three close losses against pretty good teams but as you mentioned it's just a little bit of a struggle for them to be oh and four if you're talking about this team would go over this team might make the playoffs they've got some work to do now uh, and especially that warriors loss had to be disappointed and not even be competitive in that game okay what's next
1: the boston celtics they are two and one they lost that game to the sixers that we, we talked about on the the first the first full day of the season podcast and since then they've beaten the raps and the knicks and something that's been really striking to me so far with them is jason tatum taking 13 two-point shots per game making 28 percent of them
0: Oof. yeah and that's i thought Jalen Brown has looked pretty good for them kemba has come on a little bit they had some nice contributions from grant williams down the stretch against toronto and uh my bet with jared weiss is not looking good we bet that they would close with a traditional center in greater than 75 percent of the games that was my side of the bet uh but williams played some center and then they actually went with their five best guys against toronto you know not necessarily an imposing post-up team but and his canter was out that obviously was a big issue there as well um i'll get back to tatum in a minute i've liked the way he's been aggressive from threes taking seven threes a game but just Again, these guys have not been able to get to the rim, and when they have, they haven't necessarily converted or or gotten to the free throw line. Um, Well, and that's that's something
1: I actually wanted to talk about with Tatum is – yeah he's shooting 13 two-pointers a game his proportion of shots in the restricted area has not gone up it's gone up a little bit since last year but it's still lower than his rookie year not getting to the free throw line and i mean i've been a Tatum skeptic for a while and there's still a lot of positive they does and i think that that some of what has happened in the first 3 games is anomalous but those are really like the, the the sources of reliable sustainable offense are you know making three-pointers getting to the free throw line getting to the cup and after being in really encouraging and I would say he was really encouraging in all three of those to an extent. His rookie year, that toned down to two of the three last year when he was still making threes, but he stopped going to the line as much. And now it's down to one of the three because he's not getting to the line and he's not really finishing around the basket.
0: Robert Williams has given them something. It's just a question of fouls and durability with him uh, in addition to some of the mental parts of the game. But you know, he definitely has flashed in a lot of areas. Uh, Vincent Poirier. We have seen very little of him so far. You would think that uh, he might have a chance uh, to come in, but it seems like they don't necessarily trust him at all at this point, you know, even with Daniel Tice being out, he's questionable on Wednesday with an ankle sprain. He just has never looked the same to me athletically. You know, he was kind of a a jumping jab. He got a lot of dunks in his first year of the team. And then ever since he had that knee surgery, you know, he just hasn't been making those types of plays and he's just kind of been a foil for getting destroyed by Joel Embiid whenever they match up. So I do think Tice, might be time to slide him out of the rotation ennis Cantor is dealing with a knee contusion and he's still going to remain out for wednesday against the box really interested to see what that looks like if they can get to the basket a little bit more they do have kemba walker who's a has historically been a great matchup against the bucks uh, due to that layback style that they have and walker's ability to shoot the above the break three So uh, this team, yeah, I mean, I think they'll probably make the playoffs. But other than Jalen Brown, you can't really point to anyone among their core players where you're like, oh man, that guy's really going to take a huge leap forward this year. You know, Gordon Hayward looks a little bit better to me, but he's still shooting under 50% from two because that's what you have to do if you're a Boston Celtic, apparently uh, as a perimeter player. Let's uh, talk about their foils from over the weekend. Toronto beat Orlando on Monday. Uh, They also signed Alex McKechnie to their now vice president of player health to a contract extension. Uh, remember that he came over from the Lakers years ago because the Lakers just didn't want to pay people during the lockout. And Uh, He was supposed to be a a free agent this offseason and uh, MLSC paying up uh, to keep him. So that's certainly an important aspect for them going forward. I think the biggest takeaway from their first few games this season is Pascal Siakam looks to uh, have improved and might be close to capable of carrying at least an average offense with this group.
1: It has been really remarkable. So last year, we thought it was stunning them when Siakam's usage went up to about 21% through four games. 32%. assist rate has spiked and he's done that the the big uh, the big double that you can do here i mean there when curry went supernova a lot of, a lot of other guys is when you can dramatically increase your usage and not really decrease your efficiency and we're still early and and you know you don't want to go too far on that but siakam has been able to do that and it's extremely important for the raptors because we didn't really have many doubts about their defense and i want to talk a little bit more about that later but we wondered how they were going to generate reliable offense and giving siakam the the keys was something that I thought was possible, but I didn't expect it to this degree.
0: I mean, you knew he was going to get every possible chance because they don't have many other options to uh, attack off the dribble with. And, you know, it's looked pretty good. Now, if you put your center on him the way... Philly did in the playoffs last year against the absolute best defenses. Is he gonna just be able to carve guys up one on one? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, he has been shooting a little bit more above the breakthroughs. I mean, he's kinda in the same boat as Giannis, but he's just not as dominating physically as Giannis, to where he's gonna be required to hit jump shots off the dribble to make teams play him honestly and not play him with a bigger guy. And then if he can do that and he can make those bigger guys get out on the floor and he can blow by him, then you gotta guard him with a smaller guy, and then he can go to that spin move game. I mean, he really just kills smaller players whenever he gets matched up with them. And, you know, this surround team doesn't have any other creators who can get to the basket, but they are surrounding him with enough shooting. Like OG Ananobi has looked okay so far, shooting the ball. Marcus, you know, might want to actually score at some point, but he's still going to get guarded out there. They've got Ibaka, one of the best backup centers in the league. Terrence Davis uh, has been getting some minutes uh, off the bench. He even played Matt Thomas for 20 minutes against, I think it was against Orlando, Patrick McCaw is back from injury so they're getting a little bit more depth than it looked like they had in the, in the first game and I think Nick Nurse is going to continue to play the matchups with those eighth and ninth guys to, to find someone who, who's going to work out I think all those guys will ultimately end up getting some opportunities Um now they are playing Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet starting them those guys are playing a ton of minutes and that's something to watch out for whether those guys are, are going to be able to hold up or not Knicks.
1: We talked about the Knicks to some length yesterday, that game that they pulled out against the Bulls, Bobby Portis's heroics. But I had a question for you kind of stemming off of what we talked about last night with our, the challenges of evaluating RJ Barrett. And the cake is already largely baked here. I mean, the roster that Perry and Mills put together is the roster that they have. And so the question I had for you, and I'll answer it too, is... Given the roster that they have, what would your ideal five-man lineup be to develop and evaluate their core, whatever you identify that core to be?
0: Well, let's identify that core. I mean, I think it starts, obviously, with R.J. Barrett. Mitchell Robinson is probably your number two guy there. Dennis Smith had a really rough start to the season, and now he's... uh, missing time with uh, a death in the family Reggie Bullock now I actually ha- had a uh, death of a sibling uh and he- he's gonna be away from the team for a while I think Bullock could maybe help them once he comes back uh, with his shooting but yeah I mean you think Wayne Ellington would have to be out there because they just don't have anyone else crazy as it is to say maybe Bobby Portis <laughs> I mean uh to play the four next to Mitchell Robinson I, I guess you know Julius Randle is kind of part of it but as we were talking about last night, yeah, I think maybe you take a chance on him. Maybe he could be a star. It's been a struggle for him early on here with the lack of spacing. But he's just such a tough fit on both ends that especially if you have a guy like Barrett and randall's almost got to play like kind of a Draymond green role, and you know maybe it could work with randall and barrett and robinson if you have two just cash shooters next to them that's not marcus morris to me you know maybe kevin knox could become that guy maybe like an ignis brasdikas Could become that guy. You know, I see both those guys more as fours than threes. So I don't know that the rest of these guys are on the roster, but Elling, you know, maybe it's Ellington, Bullock, Barrett, Randall, and Robinson. You know, maybe that's the group that you could close some games with down the end. But I mean, it, it becomes extremely difficult to play Barrett and a point guard together with uh, some of these groups well, that they have,
1: especially when their point guards can't shoot either. Like that—that's right, a big right exactly. And yeah. so for me, there to me, the Knicks' core is Barrett and Robinson, and that's it. Maybe Smith can work his way into that conversation, but I think when when thinking about building and evaluating, it's those two guys. And like you, I think Barrett right now is best when he's guarded by opposing twos. So maybe the answer there is playing Morris and Portis, and then whoever the hell you want at the other other guard spot, I mean
0: yeah Morris and Portis that is a lot of intensity oh yeah on the the floor to go yeah we we can call them them
1: the two-piece but yeah that's uh I I think that it's probably their best chance of success now if you want to go a little bit smaller and play Baird at the three with with Ellington I I get that and I think that's fine but I I like Baird at the two for right now and then maybe as he grows his game a little bit then then he can get better against threes and but yeah Yeah. I I think no
0: no I think that's right I like him at the two also And, and maybe we'll see teams decide that they're going to go with the bigger guy on Barrett and, and just pick your poison with Marcus Morris. We're going to post post him up from 17 feet against our two guard, like be your guest. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably the way I would be playing them even now because Barrett is pretty reliant on uh, on getting to the cup at this point in time. Also, a little concerning that Barrett is uh, 11 out of 25 from the foul line right now. That's uh, does not bode well for him continuing his 47% three-point shooting so far this season.
1: Well, and I, I'm interested on Wednesday they play in Orlando with who Steve Clifford puts on R.J. Barrett. Does he use Fournier there? Because I think that could work out pretty well for Barrett or go to one of the monsters, go to Gordon or Isaac. And that would I, that's what I want to see. Just intellectually, I want to see how Barrett handles that kind of length. But it depends on what Clifford does.
0: Indiana. Oh, boy. Panic buttons, tantalizing Pacers fans you, you mean, you at mean the moment.
1: The, the, the co-with-the-Warriors inspiration for me pitching doing time to panic this week as opposed to waiting a few weeks?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so to start here they lost twice to detroit without blake griffin that's not too amazing uh the close of the game against Detroit got really ugly. They were force feeding TJ Warren, who did finally hit his first three pointer of the year. He's one out of nine. So those who thought whether it's the offense, uh, you know, cause nine attempts is not that much. I guess they've only played three games, but, uh, but with the number of minutes he's been playing well over 30 minutes a game, you'd think he'd be getting up more three point attempts. Uh, but it looks like it may have been an aberration, his shooting in Phoenix last year. I mean, he certainly is looks good taking it and he's, took some aggressive shots um but they really you know it's kind of the way that i talked about their offense going into the season we thought oh you know they are trading out bogdanovich for lamb who uh, is going to come back he's missed a couple of games with this hip issue uh and tj warren and now they got brogdon who they didn't have in the backcourt like they've got all these kind of creator types Uh, that they didn't have before and so they'll have more options but they don't really if you look at who the top guy is who really scares you who's going to force you to put two on the ball they don't really have that guy as of now and i think it was pretty clear down the end as they were looking for someone to go to uh against detroit that put it into stark relief where yeah you have all these guys who can dribble and shoot a little bit but you know who's really the engine there tough to say and so their offense has looked a little rough and then defensively they defended well in limited minutes against bench units last year with Sabonis and Turner on the floor together Sabonis has struggled to get out on the floor especially in their two games against Detroit Detroit has gone small they have not been able to make them pay enough so it's not looking amazing here so far for the Indiana Pacers two notes
1: one early in a season always Think about whether a team has gone on a big overseas trip during the preseason. They went to India. Remember, they faced Sacramento, another team that is having a rough start to the season. So you can note that. And Indiana, in another world, could be really benefiting from an incredibly soft opening to the season. Detroit without Blake Griffin, Cleveland twice, um, Charlotte, you know, a lot of those. Washington in a couple weeks. But if they if they can't get those bank wins, if they can, then it's going to be a bigger problem. Even though they will be significantly better whenever Victor Oladipo is back.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've played Detroit twice and Cleveland and they're 22nd in offense and 26 in defense. It's not great. All right. Let's finish up with a somewhat encouraging story. Despite a one and two record, they have been shockingly competitive so far. The Washington Wizards, Troy Brown will play. Remember he missed all of camp basically with that calf injury. He's going to be back uh the nba also denied the wizards request for a de- disabled player exception for john wall which by the letter of the law where he has to be judged to be out uh substantially more likely than not to not play until the following june 15th i mean wall suffered his torn Achilles like what was it last january or february so for him to be out uh 16 months despite leontis saying he's unlikely to play this year now they showed some video of him shooting around i'm sure it was total coincidence that that came out on the same day that it was revealed that John got bought out of his Adidas contract and is now a sneaker free agent no coincidence or, or yeah yeah I'll I'll dispense with the sarcasm it's not a coincidence <laughs> um,
1: well, and, and something else to note with this yeah. is depending on what Washington does with their existing contracts, it doesn't really seem like there was a whole lot that they were going to do with this disabled player exception. Remember that they still have trade exceptions for Markeith Morris and that part of the Otto Porter exception and Jason Smith, that each one of those is larger than the amount of space they have under the luxury tax right now. So yeah. that from that pers- perspective, it probably wouldn't have been a problem. They could have theoretically used that to sign somebody if there's some sort of player that they want to sign for like four million dollars. So, you know, it is unfortunate because tommy shepard and i mean it's justifiable that you want as many team building tools as you can get but this isn't some sort of catastrophic thing for for the wizards moving forward i I
0: mean the one thing they might have been able to do would have been to get that big disabled player exception trade for a guy in the last year of his deal who was on a big contract trade someone else out of equal value and then generate a trade exception going into next year um
1: yeah but by doing that it can only be as big as the middle level exception so it's not like it's yeah i mean
0: yeah you're right It, it really wouldn't have mattered ultimately um but all right this is boring let's talk about what they've actually looked like on the floor here their defense has been surprisingly solid
1: yeah it has and i was shocked by that because we talked about how i mean they're 12th overall right now and i i was shocked because they have what looked like bad defensive personnel and a really encouraging part of it is that the opponent shot distribution has been what you look for and Third as of Monday morning, third lowest three point opponent three point proportion, which is great, and sixth highest opponent mid range proportion, which is great. Uh, they that is, you know, those are positive signs. We can talk to San Antonio's yeah. offense last year that they are not definitive. Yeah. Well
0: the, they also played OKC and San Antonio oh. uh, a two that who are not exactly like big three right. like bombings.
1: And teams. and also so. they have benefited from in, from intense opponent shooting luck. You know, like that that is a, a big factor yeah. in this as well. So I, I think that they're going to regress their bottom ten on the defensive glass, which is not a surprise and they've been a little bit more successful than I anticipated not fouling and enforcing turnovers so maybe they're just not as bad as we thought they were but still not great and i think that's more where i'm going but that's still a whole hell of a lot better than like i mean what did you do you remember what you predicted they would be
0: in what's that in
1: defensive rating this year because i know you did oh i i again. thought
0: they might be last
1: yeah so if they're like um, 25th that's a whole lot better than last
0: yeah no, and now Seth had this stat, as you noted, that in terms of what opponents are shooting on wide open threes, there's a bunch of teams that opponents are shooting under 30% on wide open threes. And Phoenix, Washington, Atlanta, like all these teams that I had predicted to be bottom five defenses that haven't been yet were all on that list. So that's certainly something to watch very closely. Bradley Beal has struggled immensely so far, 36% on twos, not getting the line a whole lot either. And the three pointer hasn't gone down. He's 31% overall from the field. That's not too amazing. Rui Hachimura has, you know, he's not this bad, but he's kind of got a little bit of the like Kevin Knox excitement going here where. You know, they don't really have anyone else. He's uh, doing some stuff in ISO. It looks okay. But then you look down at his actual numbers and, you know, 49% true shooting and basically not getting to the foul line at all and never passes. So uh I mean he kinda looks good out there. He takes some shots, he ends up with good number of points. Let's see where he's at by the end of the year. I mean, he's showed some signs, but also you look down overall, even even in what's in theory a good start, and he's been pretty below average efficiency. Well also um, Bradley Beal,
1: thirty nine percent true shooting through the Yeah, yeah.
0: I just talked about Oh, that.
1: sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, I was I was crossing up.
0: Um yeah, but uh I thought Mo Wagner actually yeah. like gave them something in that OKC win. He, he like a lot of nice verticality plays at the rim. He's finally shooting the ball pretty well. Um Davis Bertans had just a monster game against his old San Antonio team uh, that in that game they almost won. So they have some guys who have looked okay, like Isaac Bonga looks like he belongs out there, which for a 20 year old who didn't play hardly at all for the Lakers last year, he's been starting at the three. Has it as been the end of the world? Uh, Isaiah Thomas came back in one game, played 20 minutes, uh, scored okay. Looking forward to seeing more of him. You know, these guys haven't been unwatchable. I thought they would be. That's a, at least a, more than you could say so far. Uh, kind of too bad. I mean, they've played all three road games, huh? They haven't, uh, they haven't had their home opener yet. No. Yeah, they're, at they're, Dallas, at OKC, yeah. at San Antonio. They will right? have yeah, they will so. have it on
1: Wednesday against Houston. So
0: wow, the teams never seem to have. Uh, that's got to be like the latest home opener I can ever remember anybody having. Uh, I'm sure people in uh the DMV are just absolutely dying to see these Wizards in, well, in person. Well, and, are...
1: and theoretically, we're recording this. We're recording this at, at uh, on Tuesday afternoon. That might be during, I think, Game Seven of the World Series.
0: What's the World Series? That's a good way All to right. end this podcast. <laughs> yeah it is uh don't forget about hollinger and duncan please subscribe there search hollinger and duncan in your favorite podcast player Uh, we talked about how injuries get reported to the media and what a difficult dance that is in the social media era talked about some of the predictions we might want to have back what teams like golden state can do uh, to get better this season hit some fun mailbag questions so that uh, keep your eyes out uh, for that is going to be dropping on on sunday nights uh, once a week and uh, anything you want to talk about before we go
1: Oh, uh, no, I'm good for now. Well, oh, no, the NBA cast. We should, we should talk about that.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Atlanta and Miami, although. Kevin Pelton just texted me and said that Trey Young rolled his right ankle, so uh, we, we th- hopefully he'll be he'll be playing. We we may uh, we may have to reevaluate that game if Trey's not playing. Yeah, I guess it'll still be fun to do anyway. We, we, we too many sunk costs. We have to just do the, that game.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll keep an eye on it.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll talk to y'all. We got one more episode this week. I think we're actually going to do a mailbag, so look out for that tweet that uh, I'm going to send out probably tomorrow morning respond to that yeah, and uh, that, we'll do your question. This is not Patreon; Anyone can, uh, can do this. And as
1: a reminder and, for for a Twitter mailbag, reply to that specific tweet, because that's how we, that's how we call the responses. So if it's just in some other reply, it, it might get missed, but it won't get missed if it's there.
0: Exactly. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you all later this week. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh,